Well, good morning. It's good to be with you once again. Thank God for blessing us to be here. God is good, and He's good all the time, isn't He? And we just appreciate all that He is doing in our life and, and has done. Uh, we're continuing our study in the book of Romans, and want to begin at uh, chapter 10 this morning. And in fact, we're going to read the entire chapter, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Hope you've enjoyed this as we've looked at some of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Uh, As we said, the very first Sunday we looked at Romans. Romans is really a book packed full of theology, you know, doctrine, what we believe. And it's important for us to uh, be reminded of this, uh, to strengthen our own faith, help us to explain what it is we believe to others. But then also there will be some here, no doubt, who are perhaps hearing this for the very first time. And um, I just pray that as we share out of God's Word today, you will be convinced of the truth of God's Word and will come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, Romans chapter 10, though, we'll begin. Verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes it in this way, the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long 
I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's just pause again for a moment and ask God's blessings. Dear God, we thank You for this opportunity to open up Your Word and to learn more from You. And as we do so, God, we just acknowledge Your presence. Thank You for being in our midst. And God, I ask for Your help. Help me to be able to declare the truth of Your Word in a very clear and understandable way. And I pray that You prepare the hearts of everyone who is here, dear God, to hear from You. Lord, you know what it is that each and every one of us stand in need of. So I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, speak into our hearts, into our situations, and use the word to minister to us wherever we are. Father, I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would use the words that I will share this morning to speak to them, convince them of the truth of God's word, Father, and help them to surrender their life to you before it's too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was thinking this week about something that used to happen uh, more frequently in years gone by, but probably hasn't happened very often. And that is the idea of someone receiving a collect call or reverse charges call. Uh, Anyone received a collect call recently? This month, this year, yeah. I think now with uh, mobile phones and all the technology and stuff, that's not something that happens very often. But I can remember that, you know, remember picking up the phone and there would be an operator on the other end and they would say, I have a collect call from so-and-so, do you accept the charges? And I had the option of either saying, yes, I'll accept that call, and then they would put the person through to me, or I could say, no, I don't accept that call. And then they go back to the person and say, sorry, the call wasn't accepted, and then the call would be ended. Well, we don't have collect calls anymore, but in a sense, what was happening was the operator was like a messenger, a go-between, between between the person who wanted to speak to me and myself, letting me know that there was someone who had a message for me. In a sense, the passage that we're reading today, Paul is acting as a messenger. He's relaying a message from God to God's people. And Paul was deeply troubled because the Jewish nation his own kinfolk, were rejecting this message. And he was greatly concerned about this. He was troubled by the fact that his native people were not accepting the message that God had for them. Well, what does this have to do with us today? Well, the message that God had for the Jewish people nearly 2,000 years ago is the same message that God is saying to us today. And it's the message that God has placed on my heart. And after I share this message, each and every person here will have a decision to make either accept God's message or choose to reject it. Those are the only two options. If if a person was to decide, well, I won't do anything about that right now, I'll just ignore it or postpone it, then in a real sense, they're rejecting the message that God has for them today. So God has a call for you. He has some good news for you. The question is, have you accepted this good news and made it real in your own life, or or have you neglected or rejected it? Our text this morning, as you see, is from the 10th chapter of Romans. And it's right smack in the middle, obviously, of chapters 9 and 11. And in chapters 9 and 11, this is what's happening with the message of Paul. He's addressing the question of Israel's fate in light of their rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And their role in uh, the Gentiles coming to salvation. So this is what is the backdrop of what we're looking at here in chapter 10. In a real sense, it's no different than the time that we live in today, because we all know this, that there are many people who are rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. 
There are many people who don't think the Bible is relevant to them or is true. There are many people who have abandoned God and are living life their own way. Well, Paul was concerned about this in regards to the Jewish nation. And in verse 1, he says here, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul was desperately concerned about the people of God, about the children of God, and their desire for them to be saved, the Jewish nation. When the Christian church was first established, it was almost exclusively Jewish. The early believers like Paul and all the apostles, they were Jews. But as Gentiles began to get saved, the church began to expand. It became more and more a Gentile religion, a Gentile church, and the Jews were the minority. And as Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles and seeing God working in their midst and more of them, more of them coming to faith, he wasn't just happy with that. He was concerned to see Jews come to faith as well. And in verse number 2, he acknowledged that they were very religious people. He calls them zealous. But they were trying to win God's favor the wrong way. Before his conversion, Paul was an example of that. Paul was someone who persecuted the early church. He actually went from town to town, city to city, arresting Christians, throwing them into jail, into prison. Some of them were even killed. He was doing everything he could to stop this new movement, believers in Jesus Christ. But he wasn't doing it because he was a secular person or an evil person who wanted to see the work of God destroyed. He was doing this thinking he was doing God's will. When he went into a town, went to someone's home, and had that person arrested, or that family arrested, and had them thrown into prison, Paul walked away from that feeling like God was pleased with what he was doing. That he was doing the work of God. He was zealous, but it wasn't according to knowledge. He was going about it, trying to win favor with God, but doing it the wrong way. In verse number 3, he says that the Jewish people, instead of accepting the righteousness from God apart from law, something we looked at in chapter 3, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, they were trying to establish their own way to be made right with God by keeping the law. The Jewish nation felt they didn't need to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That he wasn't the Messiah. And largely they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because Jesus did not do what they expected the Messiah to do. The Jews had long looked for and anticipated the arrival of a Messiah. But they thought that when the Messiah came, he was going to free them from Roman rule. He was going to reestablish Jerusalem as the heart of the Jewish nation. That they would go back to a time of David and Saul and Samuel when the children of Israel, the nation of Israel was a superpower in the world. But at the time of Christ, they were not. They were a captured people. They were under Roman control. So they could not accept that Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't set them free in the way that they expected. They also believed that the way to serve God and to be right with God was to be circumcised and to observe all the things of the law. And in verse number 8, he says that they were rejecting God's righteousness largely because they rejected the gospel message. The message that had been proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God. And what is this message? Well, the first thing is, despite our sins, God desperately desires for everyone to be saved. Again, verse number one, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. It doesn't matter what a person has done. It doesn't matter how other people may view them. We live in a world where there is a God who is desperate for everyone to come to salvation. 
Paul's statement here in verse number 1 of chapter 10 is reminiscent of something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, 34. Jesus said this, and although he says it about Jerusalem, the city, he really meant the Jewish nation as a whole. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, who, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You can see in Jesus' expression the, his sentiment of how much he desired, how much God desired to draw the people of Israel under his wing, to have a relationship with them. He says, just like a hen gathers her chicks, I wanted to do that, but you were not willing. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3 and 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. What he was talking about is Jesus had promised when he left that he would return. And it had only been, you know, not very long, uh, less than 30 years since Jesus had left. Well, really even less than that, less than 20 years since Jesus had left. But at the time of this writing, he's saying that of the fact that he hasn't come back doesn't mean that he is slow in keeping his promise. He will come back. But he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus left this earth. Why hasn't He come back yet? Largely because God is patient. He's given everybody a chance to get right with Him. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. I've had it asked sometimes, how can God be a loving, gracious God and send people to hell? There are those that just find that incompatible. How can a loving God condemn people to hell, to burn for all of eternity? Surely, either hell is not real or God is not loving and gracious, but it can't be both. Well, the, the real truth of that is, is that God doesn't send anybody to hell. Hell is where we were headed because of our sin. God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins so that we would not go to hell. So that we would be spared that. And the only people who will wind up in hell are those who, after God has done everything He can to save them from that, refuse His free gift. Then what can happen? It's just like if someone is out on the ocean or in a body of water and they're drowning. If you throw them a life preserver and tell them to hang on to it. Or if you come by in a rowboat or some other kind of boat and reach out to them and say, Grab my hand, I'll pull you up. If they refuse your help, can they blame you if they drown? Or can others blame you if they drown? Of course not. And that's what God has done. In a real sense, God has bent over backwards. He's done everything that He can to bring salvation to this world. And the only people who will suffer the consequences of being eternally lost are those who, after God has done everything He can, has just said, I refuse to believe it. And this is what Paul was trying to get them to understand. They were choosing another righteousness and rejecting God's great gift. The reason they were rejecting God's gift is because then, like now, there were many misguided attempts to gain God's forgiveness. As I said earlier, the Jews thought the fact that they were natural Jews, they were physical, biological descendants of Abraham, that that made them right with God. Or the fact that they practiced circumcision or observed the law. Well, it's the same today. 
there are many misguided attempts by people to gain God's forgiveness. One is false religion. There are people who have decided to put their faith in Muhammad or Islam or Buddhism or any of these other religions. And they believe that if they are faithful to that and they work hard in that and they're sincere in that, that that will bring about God's favor. But here's the thing we need to understand. You can be sincere and be absolutely wrong. A person can really believe it with all their heart. They can pour themselves into it and still be absolutely wrong. The Bible makes it very clear that salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And someone may be a devout Muslim, but if they are believing that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, if they do not accept that when He died on the cross for their sins, if they do not put their faith in Him, then they will be lost. False religion will not do it. Some people try to gain God's forgiveness through good works. And in fact, that's at the very heart of every other religion. Do you realize that every major religion, besides Christianity, has at the heart of it the idea that you have to earn God's forgiveness. You have to work for it. You have to demonstrate it through your actions or, or whatever. You think about Muslims who pray five times a day. Maybe looking toward Mecca. Or the fact that they practice Ramadan, which is a month-long fast. You know, many of us will struggle to fast for one day. But yet they fast for a whole month. Then there are other religions that do great sacrifices and things. You know, in fact, in Islam, one of the very core principles is the idea of surrender and sacrifice. That that's what it's about. You know, the more you sacrifice, the more God will look upon you favorably. But that's not what the Bible says. It says it's not based on our works. It's not something we can earn. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. I saw recently back at Easter time, uh, I think it was on YouTube, a video of some Catholics down in Latin America who at Easter allowed themselves to be nailed to a cross. Physically nailed. They had nails driven, driven through their hands on a cross and hung there for a while. And they did that because they felt like that would bring them closer to God. That that would you know, demonstrate their commitment and their love for Him. God doesn't want us to nail ourselves to a cross. He doesn't want us to uh, uh, abuse ourselves in some way or to do these things in a way to earn His forgiveness. I saw also on YouTube a video of some Muslims over in the Middle East who took whips and they were whipping themselves on the back and actually opening up the flesh and causing themselves to bleed but they felt like by punishing themselves in that way that that would earn God's forgiveness. That would demonstrate their commitment, their love for Him. What are they trying to do? They want to be right with God. They want to earn His forgiveness and His favor and they believe that if they somehow subject themselves to suffering and abuse that God would be pleased with that. But that's not God's way. Man's way says you have to work for it. God's way is that it's a gift. You just have to accept it. Man's way says you have to earn it. But again, God's way says it's a gift. All you have to do is accept it. The question for you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, are you trying to earn God's favor by living a good life, giving to charity, treating your neighbor right, doing all of these things, nothing will suffice for accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is what Paul makes very clear in verse number 4. Salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. It's so simple. 
why do so many people struggle with it? You know, if God told us, and this is what he's saying here in verses number 6, 6, and 7, about ascending into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or descending into deep, that is to bring Christ up. In other words, he's saying it doesn't take some heroic feat to come into relationship with God. But wouldn't that be, you know, something that people would probably have an easier time with? If we said to be saved, or to be right with God, you had to do some great thing. You had to go door to door and sell a million tracks. <laughs> or stand on the corner and hand out a million pamphlets. People would say, oh yeah, okay, I can do that. That, that. that sounds about right. Or you have to give so much money to the church and then you can be right with God. People would be giving their money. Or you had to go and spend two years on the mission field. And that's the way you're going to earn your forgiveness. But God says, all you have to do is trust in my son. Believe. And yet people really struggle with it. And this is what he says here in verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So simple. And yet so profound. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And grace means something that is given to us, something we don't deserve, unmerited favor. And this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The challenge for us as Christians, now we know this, kind of in theory, but do we live like this? You know, if we ever are asking, if, we, if we're ever asked a question by someone, what does it take to be saved? Or how can I be saved? How can I be a Christian? If we say anything other than put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we're adding to it. We can't tell people, well, to be saved, you've got to believe in Jesus and be baptized. Baptism is important, but it has nothing to do with being saved or getting saved. That's something you do after you're saved and because you're saved, but it doesn't save you. If, we, if someone were living in a relationship with someone and they weren't married to them, I couldn't say to them, well, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to end that relationship. You're going to have to move out. You're going to have to stop sleeping with somebody you're not married to. That's a part of living a Christian life. That's a part of spiritual growth. But that is not a requirement to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That comes afterwards. We can't put the cart before the horse. Only thing that's required of a person to, accept, to be saved, to be forgiven, is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's by faith and faith alone. Now if the faith is real, if it's genuine, it will be expressed through obedience to God's word. But we don't require that people first do what's right and then they'll become saved. You're saved by grace through faith. But this is a faith in action. And the first thing you need to do to, to express this faith is to confess and to repent. These are the first two evidence of faith. Which is why he says you believe in your heart, but you confess with your mouth. You need to tell God that you believe that Jesus Christ is his son. And that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins. And then in verse 11 through 13, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. No one is exempt. If a person is still breathing, if they're still alive on this side of eternity, they have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.
when does God close the you know, shop, so to speak? When is it too late for them? When they've passed into eternity. Once a person dies, then there's nothing that can change the eternal state. We can't pray them, pray for them after they're gone, that God will accept them into heaven. We can't give money to the church. We can't do good works, nothing. Their eternal destiny is sealed when they leave this earth. But as long as they're still alive, they have an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And God says everyone, he will in no wise turn away anyone who comes to him in faith. No matter what they've done, no matter you know, how bad a life they've lived or how long they've lived it, they can accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But then in verse 14 and 15, there is something that really is a message for us as the church today. In order for someone to believe the message, they first need to hear it. He says in verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what I'm doing this morning. So I've got beautiful feet. <laughs> you may not think it if you saw them, but that's what the scripture says. <laughs> I've got beautiful feet. The idea he's expressing here is that preaching of the gospel is an important task. And it is something that we should value and should appreciate. It's something that should be central in the life of any fellowship. I'm concerned about churches where preaching is kind of like something that's an afterthought. Uh, I've been invited to preach at churches, and thankfully you guys have not done this to me here, but I've been invited to church and they say, well, you've got like 10 minutes uh, or 15 minutes. And there's been times my wife has said, well, why do you even go? You should tell them, no, thank you. If you're going to go to a church and they say, you've got 10 minutes to preach. Now, don't, don't be too concerned. I'm not going to take an hour this morning. But uh, it needs to be valued. It needs to be appreciated. There are times when in a service it's like the singing, everybody's into it, everybody's excited or really paying attention. Then when the preaching comes, people switch off and it's like, okay, so then when that's over, then they come back alive again, to life again. But when we take opportunity to open up God's word and to understand what the text is saying to us today, that's when all of us should be on the edge of our seats. This is when we're hearing from God. It is very, very important. So continue to have that central in your times of worship and coming together. But then the other thing about this idea that they need to hear the message is that although some of us are called to preach, not everybody is, all of us are called to share the message. All of us. That means you as well. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you never share the gospel message with someone, then you are not fulfilling God's mission for your life. It's not just for the preachers, not just for the elders, or not just for certain people. That's why we're here. If it wasn't for that purpose, then the moment each and every one of us accepted Christ and was saved, we'd be better off just dying immediately. And that's what church would be, a place where people go to die. Unfortunately, that is where some churches are. But that's how it really would be. As soon as we accept God, okay, our job is done now. Nothing left for me to do here, but go on to heaven. But the reason we are left here is because you're to share the message with somebody else. I like this saying, I'm sure you've heard it before, that we are just a bunch of beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. You know, if you were a beggar and suddenly you discovered that there's a shop giving away food for free or you, you know, you're homeless 
would you just eat that yourself or would you not go back and tell other homeless people who are in the same little camp with you, hey, listen, there's a shop down the street where they're giving away free bread. They're giving away free meals. Of course, that's what you would do. And that's what we are to do. Has Jesus Christ made a difference in your life? Have you experienced God's forgiveness? Do you have God's hope and peace in your life? Has it made a change? Then why wouldn't you tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ? Why would you just keep that to yourself? That's one of the real challenges for us as Christians is that even our church experience and our worship experience doesn't just become about us having a good time. You know, churches are not meant to be sanctuaries for the righteous where we escape all of the bad things in the world and the bad people in the world and we come in here and we just have a good time with singing and praying and worshiping and reading the Bible and all around us people are lost and on their way to hell. No, we exist as a body of Christ because we want to tell this community around about us wherever we may be located either in Moody's Burner in Perth or in Chicago wherever, Glasgow the good news of Jesus Christ. You know People often think of this term, evangelism, in a negative sense. You know, if I stood up this morning and said, I want to preach on evangelism, no doubt there may be some eyes start to roll and people, oh goodness. <laughs> we don't really like to talk about that or think about that. But consider this for a moment. All of us evangelize every day. Every day. We do it without even thinking. It's so natural. But we evangelize about things other than the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't have to raise your hand, but when's the last time you were at, you went out to eat a meal at a restaurant for the first time, really enjoyed it, and then got on the phone or told somebody how good it was? That's what we do. If we go out for a meal, oh, we'll tell our friends, I went out last night for Chinese or for Italian food. It was fantastic. You need to go to that place. The service was great. The food was great at a good price. Oh, and they've got specials on all this week, two for one. We go and we sell it to other people. Why? Because it was so good. Or we go to a shop and you're in there to buy a dress or a top or something, and you realize, oh, it's 50% off. What do you do? You get out your phone and you start texting your friends. Or you get on the phone and you call your, your daughter or son or whatever. Hey, you need to come down here. They've got 50% off through the weekend. We do this all the time. Do we do it with the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you ever say, you need to come to my church? It's some wonderful people who really love you and you will feel so welcome, you hear God's word, it's a wonderful place to go to. Do you ever do that? You tell about the Chinese restaurant, do you tell them about the good things that they'll learn here at New Beginnings? It's our responsibility to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't keep it to yourself. It's very, very important. Now, I was challenged this week as I studied this in my own life, um, I've been to many funerals of loved ones and, and close friends and then people I didn't know as well. And I thought about how every, every time I have gone, the number one thing on my mind is what is the spiritual state of the person who is deceased? That, that's what I'm always thinking about. That person lying in that coffin up there, did they know Jesus Christ or not? And then the challenge and my life is, if I knew them well, did I take every opportunity that I could 
to tell them how important it was to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Wouldn't it be a shame to have a loved one or a friend of yours lying in a coffin and they left this earth without knowing Christ and you never once told them that they should accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Why would we do that? If we saw somebody that we love about to go into a building that we thought was dangerous, we would tell them, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. If you saw someone walking down the street and you could see that there was somebody following them and you were concerned, you would alert that person. We warn people about things that in situations that we think are dangerous. Are we sharing how important it is that people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior before it's too late? Again, look at verse number one. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Is that our heart's desire and our prayer for our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, that they may be saved? Do we have a passion to see them come to Jesus Christ? Are we sharing this message as often as we can? Well, God, in a sense, has placed the call to you today. I've just served as his messenger. I've tried to do my very best to be faithful to the biblical text, to teach what the Bible is saying, to not tell you something that's not true, that's my own ideals. That's one of the reasons why I take time to read the scripture every time I preach and to refer to it, because this isn't my words. I'm just the messenger here. I didn't make this up. It's not new or unique. You would have heard this sermon in churches all over the world. Because that's how it's meant to be. I'm not to try to think of something unique or innovative uh, that's never been said before. Just preach God's word and remind you of it. And that's what you've heard today. But just like, as I said at the beginning with that collect call where you have an opportunity to tell the operator, I'll accept it or no thank you, you have the same opportunity with God today. I've heard someone say that God is a gentleman. He won't force himself on you. He gives us a choice. We need to accept them because if we don't, we'll be eternally lost. But it's up to us to say yes or no. But understand this. God's greatest desire for you is to see you saved from your sins. Saved from both the penalty of sin, which is eternal damnation in hell, and the power of sin, which is the ability to live a righteous life in this world. To say no to temptation and to live in obedience to God's word. That's what God desires for us. He doesn't want to see anybody lost. He wants to save you today. He wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit and change your life in ways you never thought possible. Will you accept Him or reject Him? I hope that you'll accept Him today. Don't put it off. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me just before we close? Let's pray. Dear God, thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your great love not only just for the people of Israel, but for us as well. That your greatest desire is to see everyone come to repentance. You're not willing that any would perish, dear God. We thank you for that. Thank you for being a loving, gracious God. And Father, thank you for those who raised their hand this morning, saying, I want to be a better witness for Jesus Christ. That there are people in my life that I want to share this message with. Father, I pray that you would give them your grace and your boldness and your wisdom to know exactly how to do that. I pray, Father, that even this very week there will be opportunities presented to them to be able to speak up about the goodness of God. Father, help us to never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father, but to understand that it's the power of salvation. 
Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us all to have a real passion for souls. May we have the same desire that Paul expresses here. That our heart's desire and prayer for those that we know is that they may be saved. And Lord, I just pray for this local expression of your church. That this church would be a beacon of hope in this community. That it would be a place where people can come in and hear the gospel message and be touched by the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that many souls, many men, women, boys and girls would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in this community. Through the work that is done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.